The reading of the Scriptures from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 60 and verses 10 to 14. So I invite uh, your reverent attention and hearing of God's Word uh, from this passage in the 60th chapter of Isaiah. Foreigners shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually, day and night they shall not be shut, that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. For the nation and the kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despise you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. I presume that most of you are very familiar with uh, the reality that most of the Western democracies are uh, experiencing uh, a crisis of immigration. Uh, I'm not really going to talk about the political realities of that, only to make a parallel that uh, the greatest immigration event of all time is occurring as people come to a personal faith in Jesus Christ and they begin to move to the heavenly city of Zion. And it is that city that uh, the prophet uh, and the word of God is addressing. He's addressing the city of Zion. Uh, He's speaking uh, to the city uh, and the reality that it is going to experience, again, as I've suggested, uh, the greatest and most massive influx of immigration in all time. Uh, It begs the question from the prophet Isaiah, uh, how do you get into that city? It's interesting to me that in our own immigration crisis, uh, people are saying, well, uh, should it be meritorious? Uh, should, should people come with uh, some merit uh, to uh, bring to America? Again, I'm not going to answer that question. Uh, certainly the prophet that tells us that the only way that you get into the heavenly city of Zion is through the merits of someone else, namely the merit of Jesus Christ uh, charged to your account. It's a great question. Uh, how do you merit a displacement to a land that you consider to be your betterment. Well, again, the Christian faith, uh, the servant songs of Isaiah, the merits of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's also instructive to me in our own immigration crisis, there's this great fear over the separation of families. Again, I don't have a solution to that, that you have any interest in whatsoever, but it's instructive to me that Jesus Christ, our Savior, Uh, loses none of those given to him. Uh, If you belong to Christ, you can never be separated from your spiritual benefactor. Uh, So, great crisis in America, but 
when it comes to our movement to the heavenly city, there's no crisis whatsoever. God is sovereign. He's affecting the immigration. He gives to us the merits of his son, who loses none who belong to him, and while the journey may be perilous, he will see us all safely into that city. So when we come to Isaiah chapter 60, it's a beginning of the great promises of end-time Zion. Uh, the previous section was the promise of the great in, in gathering and enrichment of the city. This text speaks to the outcome of the expansion of the city in verses 10 to 12, and her restoration to glory by the divine presence in verses 13 to 14. Well, the, the prophecy here portends a period of unprecedented peace uh, in regards to the city of Zion. Previously, Gentile nations came to her as conquerors. They came to destroy the city. Now they come to rebuild Zion's walls in incredible geographic expansion, and that, I think, is the address, the part of Isaiah chapter 16, verse 10. Foreigners will build up your walls. Previously, they've torn them down, but now they're going to build them up. Previously, foreign kings sacked and looted the city and temple to impose their own religions. Now they come as ministers in service to the one true God. Remarkable, incredible change, unprecedented change. A city once despised, now, of course, resurrected, uh, become uh, the place where the glory, the divine presence resides. It's instructive to me that as cities grow, so must their infrastructure. The eternal city encompasses an expansive boundary, reflecting, again, a massive Gentile immigration, uh, who, again, as I've suggested, will come to serve God as their priests. If you look at verse 10, Kings will minister to you. That word minister is used in the Old Testament of priestly service in the tabernacle. Uh, an event in the Old Testament of which no Gentile could participate in, now they participate fully. Now foreign kings that were once the enemies of eternal Zion now come to minister as the priests of God. So again, incredible change is occurring. Uh, in this one great city, city of God, Zion. Uh, the cause of this great event, uh, latter part of verse 10, uh, is the compassion and love of God. Uh, that God is going to uh, come to the city and affect compassion and his love. Uh, I think something reflective of the theology of John chapter 3, verse 16, uh, for God so loved the world, the world meaning uh, all men without distinction, and that God will move that world that belongs to him to eternal heavenly Zion. Furthermore, Isaiah says that the gates of the city will be opened continually. Verse 11, again, the influx of Gentiles will be so great that day and night the gates of the city will be open to, uh, to handle this massive influx of Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Previously, of course, uh, the cities of the ancient Near East would uh, close their gates and lock them for defense and protection. That's no longer needed because God has effected great change. He's established peace that all men who go into that city 
uh, come into that city in peace. Perhaps something of the majesty of the gospel that by virtue of the work of Jesus Christ, we've been reconciled to God and we've been reconciled to all of the people of God. Isn't it interesting that there is this great argument in our country? Should we close our borders? Or should we just open them for anyone to come, whoever wants to come? I'm not going to answer that question to you. I'm just simply telling you that in respect of the eternal Zion, the borders are open for all to come. The gates of the city will never close. It's a reminder, I think, of the majesty of the gospel, uh, that uh, all may come. Uh, there is, of course, from the pulpit, an invitation for all to come. Of course, uh, we know from the Gospels that uh, not all are chosen, but there's an invitation to all. The gates are open. If you're not a Christian, uh, come to Christ, and you immediately uh, have access to the eternal city of Zion. The immigrants come, of course, uh, with wealth defined, uh, and this is most important, defined in my own mind, the latter part of Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 6. Uh, and they will bear the good news of the praise of the Lord. It's interesting when you look at uh, great uh, movements of population, uh, uh, when people are forced to move, they oftentimes will, will compress their wealth in things that are easily carried. I don't know, like maybe diamonds. You sell all you have, you buy diamonds, and then you move because you're leaving your ancestral home. But the immigrants here bring the praise of God. They come redeemed. They come to lavish upon God the majesty of their praise because they come as a redeemed people. A marvelous change occurring in the city of Zion, the city of God, the eternal city whose gates never close, that all may come, but of course they only come redeemed by Christ. Now it's the city of God and people come with praise in their hearts for the grace of redemption. Reminds me of uh, that great uh, verse in Revelation chapter 5, in verse 9. And they sang a new song. Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wert slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. No ethnic qualifications whatsoever to the eternal city of Zion. Uh, men from every tribe, tongue, people, nation. No gender qualification, massive influx into this eternal city. Expansive boundaries, uh, gates are perpetually open uh, because of the redemptive work of the great servant song. Well, this is, of course, a, uh, a picture of, uh, of heaven, but it's also a picture of the present. Uh, one of the great things I think you must reckon with in the prophecy of Isaiah that uh, all of these prophecies have started uh, not unmindful that they haven't reached their terminal conclusion. But there is no question in my mind that all of these prophecies have begun, that the movement has started, this great, great movement of pilgrims that the eternal city has started. We know that is true because of the New Testament. So that Isaiah is anticipating a fulfillment, uh, and the writers of the New Testament acknowledge that that event has has begun. 
Let me repair uh, to a verse we looked at last week and then look at some new verses. Uh, Galatians uh, chapter 4 is an illustration that this great event has come. It's already started. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 26 and verse 31. The Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. Jerusalem, the eternal Zion, is in heaven. She's the mother of all of the pilgrims. She births them in the new birth, and she nurtures them for their journey. In that sense, the Apostle Paul is anticipating that these great prophecies of end-time Zion, beginning in Isaiah chapter 60, have started. That Jerusalem is gathering its citizens. That heaven has already started the process. Great question for you is, has it started with you? in a personal faith in Jesus Christ? Has the city mothered you, nurturing you for the great journey? Verse 31, Galatians chapter 4, So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free woman. Remarkable change in the gospel, that we do not have to come with all of the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. It's all been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We are free from that. And why is it that most people become immigrants today? They want freedom. They want a chance at a new way of life, perhaps uh, new economic circumstances. We are the ultimate immigrants moving to heavenly Zion. Freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ. It's why we moved. We came to faith in him. And the city has nurtured us and birthed us, and so we are moving even now, this this great event. Uh, The context of Galatians chapter 4 is Gentiles coming to faith in Christ, absent much of the Mosaic economy, if not all of it. They belong to heavenly Jerusalem. In other words, the Gentile in gathering, prophesied in Isaiah chapter 60, has begun in Christ with the gospel. Again, great question. Has it begun with you in the gospel? Have you fled to Christ? Has the eternal city birthed you in the new birth? Uh, Because the eternal city of Zion is our mother, and she succors us and will keep us and preserve us all along the way. That we belong to that city now. It's instructive to me, even though it's very difficult to me to comprehend Uh, why so many people are fleeing to different parts of the earth. I don't know what for. A new home, a new way of life, uh, a chance at perhaps uh, economic liberty for family, thousands of reasons. Uh, We move because of the glory of Christ. We move to heaven because it is a home of intractable, eternal beauty and glory. It's really the greatest immigration movement of all time. We move because of Christ, our Redeemer, His city. Second illustration, most instructive, that I think is uh, characteristic of a beginning fulfillment is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 to 23. It too speaks of, uh, of immigration. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 to 23. The context of much of the book of Hebrews uh, is uh, a number of warning passages. 
in light of the accomplishments of Christ who has gone to heaven, and because of our identification with him, he has taken us to heaven to represent us. Uh, Look again, let's read the text, uh, verses 22 to 23. But you have come to Mount Zion. Notice again a reference to the eternal city, meaning that the great immigration movement has started. We're a part of it. We've come to the city. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. The immigration has started. Uh, If you're a Christian, you've you've come into that city. Your name is enrolled uh, upon the city registers. You belong there. Uh, Notice, uh, notice, if you will, part of the essence of the warning. Hebrews chapter 12, verse, verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that may be touched into a blazing fire into darkness and gloom and whirlwind. It's a great reminder of the incredible change affected by the gospel. We've been set free. But the law is no longer our judge because we have been cleansed and perfected by Jesus Christ. And we, we find our names written upon its rolls. Remarkable. Uh, so many people today, I, I presume in this great earthly immigration, want to come to America. I think there's a better city to move to, the eternal city, the eternal Zion. Why is it people aren't immigrating to say, I don't know, Cuba? We know the answer. There's more liberty in one city than the other. But the greatest of all liberties, ladies and gentlemen, is in Jesus Christ because he sets us free from sin and death and hell. It is the greatest reason to move to the Savior and to have your name enrolled in heaven, meaning that that heavenly city will one day come for you and consummate your entrance into that city and match you with the roles of that city as you enter it. In the great beginning that in the knowledge of Christ our Redeemer, we are moving to that city as it is moving to us. I'm simply suggesting that the future of the prophecies of the end time Zion have started in Christ. The great migration has begun spiritually. And Christ is anticipating for us a future literal entrance into the city. Another illustration of uh, the reality that this event has begun uh, is found in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 15. I'm going to read simply verses 16, 17. After these things I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, in order that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Uh, The text is a quotation from Amos uh, chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. And the prophet Amos is also indicating a time of the end-time restoration of the people of God, a time in which God will rebuild the tabernacle. James cites this text 
uh, as being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's interesting the context of Acts chapter 15 is the great Jerusalem council in response to what? What are they arguing over in the Jerusalem council? Gentiles coming to faith. Faith alone in Christ alone. The controversy was, they, should, they, should they come under the Mosaic law? And James says no. And he cites Amos to justify his position. That the prophecy of Amos chapter 9 has been fulfilled by Christ. And therefore, God in Christ is gathering this massive influx of Gentiles. Started in a, in a small trickle in the Old Testament, becoming a massive flow in the book of Acts. And all throughout the history of missions, what do we have? God gathering the nations unto himself. It's quite instructive when you look at church history. The Puritans looked at uh, the book of Isaiah and chapters like Isaiah chapter 60 as the reason to take the gospel to the nations. Men like Jonathan Edwards were fired by this great prophecy of the coming of the Gentiles as they saw the gospel, the Spirit of God being poured out in their own day, and men and women coming to faith in Jesus Christ. First great awakening. I don't know the date, 1735. Again, great outpouring of the Spirit, 1740, 1741, 42. Men and women coming to Christ, fueled by the prophecies of Isaiah and the great desire of preachers like Jonathan Edwards, to see the fulfillment of these great prophecies it's occurring today. The gospel outreach throughout the world. People moving because of Christ. Moving to what? Eternal Zion. How? By Jesus Christ. Again, great reminder to me that while we struggle in different Western democracies as to what to do with the influx of immigrants, Heaven knows nothing of that. It takes all who are in the Savior. None are lost, none are turned back. The merits of Christ is the basis for them all to come. Greatest invitation of all time. Uh, the greatest promise of all time, the coming of the end time uh, city of Zion that's already begun. It's instructive to me that uh, Luke writes in Acts chapter 15 of the tabernacle being rebuilt by God. The tabernacle is a prototype of the presence of God. And Jesus has come as the end-time fulfillment of what the prototype was pointing to, that he is the cosmic tabernacle in his death and resurrection. So that this event of immigration starts with him. He cleanses and forgives us so that we have no need of the Mosaic law. We come because we are in him, in the freedom of the gospel. Therefore, the end-time promise of the divine presence again has started in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in this great spiritual restoration which includes Gentiles moving to end-time Zion, the kingdom advancing, and Christ has started it all. Reference here, I think, in Isaiah chapter 60, certainly of a majestic uh, hint of the importance of the gospel in Isaiah chapter 16, verse 12. For the nation and the kingdom which will not serve you will perish, 
and the nations will be utterly ruined. You either belong to that city or you don't. And if you don't and you remain and abide in the cities of man, you will be destroyed and you will never recover. The invitation to move to the city through Jesus Christ, the only Savior. Uh, an event that's occurring in my mind because of Christ and his death and resurrection. Again, migrants move for a reason. What they are, I simply cannot imagine. Uh, in my own mind, a new way of life, reunited with family, economic possibilities, religious liberty. I don't have a clue. I suspect for those reasons and many more. Why do we move? Freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ. If Christ has set you free, you are free indeed. You're a son of God. You're a child of the city. Your name has been etched in its rolls. It is coming for you even as you move to it. The greatest immigration event, ladies and gentlemen, of all time is now a spiritual event. And one day soon in God's providence, uh, it will become a literal, physical event event to be seen and beheld by all of us. That's why we've moved. Heaven. God is there. And we want to be with him. Uh, the greatest love, the greatest repository of beauty that can ever be imagined. Think about it as you plan your vacations. I don't know why you go to different places. Maybe you, you, uh, you don't have mountains in Oklahoma, so you want to move to Colorado, so you'll see mountains. Uh, if you're like me, you like to go to the ocean because you can't catch fish to uh, a certain extent, uh, ocean fish, so you go to the ocean. You go where you want to go. Think of a city of eternal, unmatched, unparalleled beauty. And that's why we move to come to Christ. That's why we're moving to that city. And because of the grace of God, it's moving to us. We've been enrolled in the city registers because of Christ our Redeemer. Great reason to keep moving because of Christ in the eternal city. Well, there's part of this prophecy, as you might imagine, that is, has, uh, has not yet uh, been totally fulfilled. Uh, Isaiah chapter 60 and verses 13 and 14 is just such a reminder that the greatest and the best is yet to come. Because there is a physical reality of our faith in the fullness of the divine presence uh, in the end time completion, if you will, of the new creation. It's captured for us, Isaiah chapter uh, 60, in the final two verses, 13 and 14. The nations will stream uh, into heaven in subservience and worship reflecting the divine glory. The movement to glory. Uh, the promise states that the glory of Lebanon will come. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 13. Uh, the allusion here, it's very instructive, is uh, to the raw materials coming out of Lebanon for use in the construction of Solomon's first temple. 
But now the beauty of that temple has been totally eclipsed in heaven because heaven captures the fullness of the reality of it. Again, 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 10 and 18. But as it was in Solomon's day, that's chump change because it will be now the presence of the literal, physical reality of the glory of God, infinite, eternal, everlasting beauty and love forever and ever. Lebanon, of course, was a Gentile nation, and Gentile immigration will beautify the sanctuary in their praise and worship. And again, Isaiah chapter 60, verse 30, 13, uh, God will beautify the place of his sanctuary and make the place of my feet glorious. Now, the reference here to feet speaks to the Ark of the Covenant that was God's footstool as he sat on his heavenly throne. Again, now fully realized in the divine presence uh, that will fill the new creation totally, extensively, and, thank God, intensively. That the entire end-time creation will become the sanctuary of God. That's why, that's why we're moving spiritually. To be with God. To be where He is. To behold His glory. To see His majesty. Uh, to praise Him that he called us out of the cities of man, places of ruin and destruction, where everything, if you will, is collapsing and will be destroyed. We'll come to praise and acknowledge his goodness for writing our names uh, on the city registers, uh, that he will come to us because of Christ who has redeemed us and set us free. A great reason to move to his city if you're not a Christian, uh, to leave the cities of destruction, to use a metaphor, the city of man, to use another metaphor, because of the glory, the beauty, the majesty, the perfections of end-time Zion, where God will come in explosive glory and beauty, and we will behold that majesty world without end. Again, implicit question in that, is there not? Have you, have you come to Christ? Have you started your immigration? Is your name enrolled in heaven? Uh, come to the Savior, and you will know the fullness of those great majestic promises. Well, the text in Isaiah 60 ends just as it began. Isaiah 60, verse 14. The sons of those who afflicted you will come bowing to you. If you will, the sons of stranger, figure of speech here. That's how the text began. And the sons of foreigners will rebuild your walls. The marvelous change, God reaching to the nations, that Gentiles will come in subservience to Zion and they will bow and worship. And the city of God will be in total irreversible triumph, receiving the accolades of the elect from all of the nations. that the last great pilgrimage will complete the end for which God created us. And we will worship him. That God, through Jesus Christ, starts that immigration in this life as we worship the Son. We complete it uh, in heaven when we enter that city. I don't know about you, but I'm profoundly grateful because of Jesus Christ. Uh, 
people are fleeing all over the world trying to find, I don't know what, better homes, better economic possibilities, better geography, religious freedom, political freedom. This is the real reason to move to the end time Zion. Freedom in Christ, set free by the power of Christ, enrolled in the city of God. It's coming for us in the time in which we will literally, physically, eternally behold the beauty of his everlasting holiness. I trust you've begun this greatest of all migrations. A reminder to us uh, that there is but one qualification, Christ, redeemed by Christ, belonging to Christ, and following Christ to the end. And how will it end? Isaiah has just told us in the beauty and glory of the city of God. Well, as you know, is our custom in the first uh, Sunday of of the month to reflect in a parallel sense on this great migration. Because all along the way, we need food and drink to sustain us, to keep us, and to preserve us. And so we come, as is our custom at Grace Bible Church, to uh, participate and to have fellowship with Christ uh, in the sacrament of the Lord's table. Uh, It is... uh, as many have referred to, a sacrament to the senses that speaks to a sign of the provision of Jesus Christ and all of the blessings that accrue to the elect in our movement to heaven. The table signifies the benefits of the new covenant and that all along the way Christ will nourish us and give us food and drink and cause us to grow in grace, to see us through in this time of a perilous journey Uh, But nonetheless, that uh, by his grace, we will enter that city. Uh, In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, the Apostle Paul enjoins us to examine ourselves as to a proper discernment of the elements which represent the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, That we come to acknowledge that sacrifice and all that it means. That it is uh, by his merits that our name is enrolled in heaven. It is by his merits that we are received into the city. If you will, he's our passport. The gates are open to us because of him. And so we come to the elements, of course, of the Lord's table in a measure of profound faith and repentance. Uh, We come forsaking the sin of the day. Uh, We come repentantly because... Uh, It is his spirit in our hearts that causes us to flee not only the city of man, but to flee, of course, uh, the sins of the city of men uh, under ruin and destruction. And so there's something of the invitation, the sacrament of the Lord's table, that we're to come worthily, uh, that we are not engaging in known sin for which uh, we are in rebellion over against the God of the city. Grace Bible Church, we uh, practice what is uh, known as an open communion. Uh, It's open to all who know the Savior. No other qualifications uh, save that we come in faith and repentance unto him because of his manifest sacrifice on our behalf, uh, the one for the many. There's also a marvelous picture in the Gospel of John of the elements of the sacraments of the Lord's table. John chapter 6, 
Uh, it's not, I think, inherently in the context of John 6, but it certainly speaks to the reality of the provision of Christ to see us through all along the way until we enter the gates of his city. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, On the bread of life, he who comes to me shall not hunger, he who believes in me shall never thirst. There's no question that something of the backdrop of that is the wilderness wanderings of the nation of Israel. But now it's no longer the physical manna and the physical water. Now it's Jesus Christ. The bread has come down out of heaven. The provision of the water of life found in his saving and powerful work uh, to change us and make us new. John chapter 6, verse 53 to 58. Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. What a powerful reason to know the Savior, to move to the Savior. The finality of the grace of his provision that opens the door of the gates of the city. Again, we come to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's table in light of his work on our behalf, the provisions of his grace. So if you are a son of God by virtue of having placed your faith in Jesus Christ as a savior for your guilt and sin, and you're not under church discipline or not living in known sin for which you are in rebellion against God. This, this table is for you. A time to reflect. A time to remember. Uh, but also a time to fellowship with Christ. To experience in this gospel to the senses what it means that he is your savior and your provision all along the way that will end in that great city. And that God in his eternal glory and presence will come to meet with you world without end. As I, uh, as I break the bread and it is passed, I uh, ask you to hold it until uh, which time uh, all of us are served. And that as a church, as a people of God, knowing and embracing saving faith in Jesus Christ, we will eat together in unity expressing the marvels of the fact that we have been reconciled to God because of heaven and to one another because of heaven. As the bread is being passed, if there's something that you need to settle before God, it's an occasion for you to do so. But certainly it's a greater occasion to revel in celebration of God's grace to each of us that through Jesus Christ, the doors of heaven are open and he is our provision all along the way. And may his spiritual presence enrich us in a grand way this day as we partake of the sacrament. After a suitable time of prayer, we will again eat together, but let's now prepare our hearts to partake of the bread of heaven, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer.